As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show Weekend Review! The FA Cup continues at a furious pace and most of us learned that Maidstone is a place but there weren't too many giants killed or many Man United fans who were left feeling very thrilled. But the big news that made English soccer stop was the shock announcement from Jurgen Klopp. It's a monumental Liverpool loss that can't be blamed on the wind or the grass or the ball by the boss. The announcement timing might seem quite savvy, but that's not the same case for poor old Xavi. The Barcelona man is also ending his endeavour so it might be time for them to pull another lever. Serie A, the Bundesliga, La Liga, AFCON and Asia Cup will be part of the weekend review sermon, but we'll probably kick things off with a big old chat about that Merseyside German. My name's Ryan Bailey, joining me today to review the weekend, it's Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, my friend. I'm looking forward to talking about the least actual soccer we've ever talked about in a weekend review, and instead just talk about managers stepping down for about... 40 minutes, I'm guessing. Yay, let's do that, Taylor. Joining us to do that, it's your friend of mine, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe Lowry. Yes, I got a last name. Taylor got a last name. I got a last name. Everybody's getting last names today. This is maybe one of the weirdest Friday into Monday stretches of soccer and soccer news that I can remember in quite some time. Thing after thing that I did not expect kept happening, even outside of AFCON. Guys, it was a wild weekend. So I'm hearing you don't want to go long on Ipswich Maidstone is what I'm getting from this uh, intro. Honestly, that was one of the best parts of the weekend. I wish there had been more soc- actual soccer that I watched, but I did watch huge chunks of that game and was fla- uh, flabbergasted, I guess, by the result. Uh, I'm, I'm down to talk about that for the whole first segment. Ryan, let's do it. Okay, let's uh, let's review that one. Uh, someone who watched a large chunks of every game, of course, Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham Ruthven. Hello, Ryan Bailey. How are you this fine Monday afternoon? Uh, I'm not great for many reasons. Uh, I, oh. I, uh, I was in a survivor league this weekend. I needed Ipswich to win against Maidstone. They didn't do that. So no, I'm out of survivor. That, that didn't happen. Is that why, that. okay. Is that why we've mentioned Maidstone United three times in the opening four minutes of the show? Cause Ryan lost Magic the I've been trying to figure cup. it out. There we go. Magic there we go. Of now also Taylor <laughs> grew up near there. Gonna ah. mention it later. Yeah. 
Classic Ryan. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll probably mention that later on. Uh, but also, Graham, um, Ipswich Town, to rub salt into my wound, also bought our star player, AFC Women's star player, Ali Alhamadi, today. As we Oh, did they really? I they missed did. that entirely. So he's they gone did. to Ipswich. It so could he be went a League to, 2 record fee. He went to the Asian Cup and never came back. That was Indeed. the last that you saw of him. Yeah, the old AFC Women removed from the Graham profile while with Iraq <laughs> at the Asia Cup where he's only been on the bench. Fun stuff indeed, Graham. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for our bonus content. Thank you very much to everybody who supports us via that meeting. We've got bonus videos. We've got Jeff Lowry, right? <laughs> Jeff. That guy? Hello. Yep, he's there. Jeff. Find out more about that on patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. And of course, access to our Gis- Dis- our Discord, our Discord where all the cool kids are hanging out. Can I ask Joe one question about the Jeff Lowry thing, please? Who's Joe? I'm Jeff. Yes. I don't know who that <laughs> when, is. Okay, I have had similar situations or similar-ish situations getting a, a credential. Joe, did you get the, the vacant stare from the person? Like, as if to say, I don't know what you want from me. You're Jeff now. Like, that, like I just love those moments when they're like, we have one for Jeff Lowry, not for Joe Lowry. And you're like, okay, well, let's connect some dots here. I, but it says Jeff. And you're like, yeah, I, I know. I'm aware. There were, Taylor, there were blank stares on both sides. Like, I, I just sort of didn't know how to react. She's like, well, I don't, I don't have a Joe Lowry. I have a Jeff Lowry. And I, I just was really surprised at first that there was another person covering Phoenix Rising versus Portland Timbers in preseason who had the same last name as me. And then I quickly pivoted to realizing that that might have been a typo. Uh, but then I think she was also a little slow to pivot. So we were, we were both moving slowly. But eventually we did get there. Blank stares were certainly exchanged. Joe, was it your, was it you that took the sharpie to the? I did. Yeah, was it, I was. It like, was you. You were so offended. I'm not standing for this. I, I wasn't. I wasn't offended. The only thing was, I, so I'm a Phoenix guy. I'm not around at a lot of Phoenix Rising games. Like I haven't been around at a lot of them. And one of the things I was hoping to do on Saturday was like go rub some elbows, right? Like I want to go meet some people and introduce people. And I don't want people staring at my credential and thinking my name is Jeff from now until the end of time. I have no issue with the mistake. Like I'm sure it was an honest mistake. I just was thinking, man, if I don't fix this, this might have some longer standing repercussions that I'm not ready to face. Oh, Joe, you've got the energy of Trump when he changed the weather map, but he did the Sharpie on it. (laughs) My name's actually Joe. This is it. There was a Reddit post once where a guy, like when he was hired, didn't correct the boss about his name. And then everybody just started calling him that. And for like six years, they called him the wrong name. That's what I'm worried about. Joe is avoiding Joe. Two things. One. Uh, from now on, if ever anyone gives you a press credential that says Jeff Lowry, can you just act like that as your arch nemesis? Absolutely. Like, I am not Jeff Lowry. That, that Unbelievable. Another mm. Jeff Lowry? I don't stand <laughs> in the same room as that guy. What if he's a real person? What if he turned up five minutes <laughs> after you? <laughs> he's Joe without glasses. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's the reverse bizarro world. I, uh, Graham, I'll be honest. I didn't consider what I might have done to the real Jeff Lowry in this process. Jeff, <laughs> if you're Jeff? listening, I am, I am sorry. But Joe, yeah. did you also then correct the date from 23 to 24? No, no, that that was done already so they didn't okay. have their 2024 credential <laughs> uh-huh. passes and yet i knew that already so they had scratched that part down off in the corner and i i did the name revamp but All you right. had one last year right <laughs> so were you jeff last year or did they change you in the system to, to no, jeff for this season I, wow we're deep in the weeds and i know conversation um to peel back the curtain there are season credentials and there are game credentials and i wasn't at enough games last uh, year to like ever really need a season credential I so i just had individual match ones and this was just one of the flimsy individual match ones i'm hoping for a shiny new season one that says jeff lowry for 2024 this is one of the right. strangest things that has ever got Taylor's conspiracy brain going, is this yeah. whole story. <laughs> That's where you were going with this, Taylor. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. Uh, listener, if you're still with us, thank you very much. We're going to pivot now to Jurgen Klopp. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Did I, did I cut into the Maidstone time? I apologize. That was the thing that everybody <laughs> tuned in for. 
Nope, they were here to talk about a name being slightly wrong on a credential for a good five minutes. But now we've got over that and we should talk about Jurgen Klopp, who is, Taylor, running out of energy, according to his big announcement Mm -hmm. on Friday. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, nine years at Liverpool, big character, a lot of energy, passion, explosiveness. He's going to be missed in the Premier League, whether you're a Liverpool fan or not, I would contend. Absolutely. I mean, he's a manager who, number one, is what the second longest tenured manager in the league. So there is there's that consistency. There's the branding. There's like the Klopp Guardiola. You know that they're going to be there. You know that they're going to have strong teams. And even when they don't, you have faith that they're going to figure it out and sort of rebuild. And, and so I think from that perspective, it is a loss for the Premier League, but it's also a loss for people who like the Premier League, who like having an exciting Liverpool team in the league, who are capable of beating big opponents, but also having some chaotic, strange moments that he's going to figure out. He is a good touchline figure. He's a good interview. He'll give you a good quote here and there. Uh, he's got some feistiness, but he's got some friendliness. And and I, I will miss him. And I say that as a Manchester United fan. I also think it's worth just, and I'm sure we will, but like as an introduction, just really drilling down on the idea that he is a transformative figure for this club. Um, Probably the biggest one in my lifetime, I think. I mean, maybe, I guess you could talk about Kenny DeGleish in the 80s, but it's worth remembering that this team really didn't have an identity until he takes over, and they win the Champions League under Rafa Benitez, but I still think they they hadn't really put it together in a way that made them seem like they were going to be this consistent competitor the way they are now. And their present identity, their present success, I feel like owes, if not entirely to Klopp, then very much a lot to Klopp. Yeah, every so often you get these managers who become the embodiment of the club that they're in yeah. charge of. And that feels like Klopp at Liverpool. He's molded Liverpool in his own image. As you say, Taylor, he's had a profound impact on, on that club in a way that compares, compares only to a handful of other managers in, in, in the Premier League era. And it's not just Liverpool, the football club, that Klopp has changed. It's the city as a whole as well. I was in Liverpool a couple of months ago. And you go down to the Albert Docks and there's a there's a bar called Jurgens down there. You walk around the city and you see his face everywhere on flags, on on, on billboards, stickers. Jurgen Klopp is, I know this will sound a little bit weird, he's the biggest Scouse icon of the last decade, even though he's German. That he's been embraced as a, as a, an honorary Scouser. He talks about that quite often. And in that sense, nobody can replace Jurgen Klopp for Liverpool. Nobody will be embraced by Liverpool like he was. So no matter what they do, there's going to be a hole left by Klopp when he leaves at the end of the season. Joe, the timing has been brought into question here, not just mm. in terms of this point in the season announcing. I can kind of get it because, you know, Liverpool on top of the pile, alive in the Cups. Uh, it's a good time to leave when you're on top of the pile, whereas sure. he might have bowed out last season when the club finished fifth, the lowest league finish <clears throat> he had since his first season with the club. It, it's, it makes sense to go out on a high note, perhaps. But also there's a question about the, the timing in terms of the Liverpool cycle as well, because he's in the midst of a rebuild, arguably. But then again, that makes sense too, because if you sure. think of Sir Alex Ferguson, when he ducked out, he sort of ducked out of Man United at the end of a cycle and left the club in a trickier position. And Jurgen Klopp's doing the opposite, arguably. Yeah, I think the timing here is fascinating. So Jurgen Klopp had that contract till the end of 2026 and, and basically just straight up said, I got tired. Like, I, I, I'm not really able to give my all and to do exactly what I want to do in this role for another year and a half now. So he decided, okay, this is going to be the end. And I respect that for a number of reasons. I think it's a logical time to step away when you feel yourself kind of slipping in that regard. But also, he's left his predecessor, and he talked about this as well. He's left them a good team. Like, he talked about how, you know, someone else is going to come in and inherit a good squad. Liverpool are going to get another good manager. 
We'll talk more about that shortly, I'm sure. And, and this is still going to be a very competitive group. I think Jurgen Klopp has done his predecessor, or his successor, excuse me, a, yeah. a, a big favor in terms of rebuilding this group. The midfield last year was old. Like, if you look at the reasons why Liverpool failed last year, you know, I guess you can draw some tactical reasons, but really they all stemmed from the fact that the squad was just not where it needed to be. And the midfield is the engine of this very high octane, up tempo kind of squad, even though they do dominate the ball. And they just couldn't get the job done last year. You come into this season, and it's a much different group. You go out and get multiple new midfielders. You go out and refresh in a couple of other areas as well. And all of a sudden, this is not a squad that I think any of us look at on paper and say, okay, they're probably good enough to beat Man City year over year over year. But they're absolutely good enough to be in every game. And clearly, they're good enough to be leading the title challenge right now. I think the timing is is both the right one for Klopp, as he said, because he's the only one who can really determine that, right? Not us on the outside. But also, I think it's an excellent situation for whoever the next manager is coming in to fill his shoes. Yeah, I think I think it's the timing is really fascinating, as Joe already said. Interesting to me that he told them in November and they've managed to keep it a secret this long uh, until eventually they have the press conference and they have the video and everything uh, explaining his decision making. But I do think it's to his credit. I think it's massively to his credit that he he doesn't step away at the end of last season. He's there to kind of start the rebuild. And I do think he sort of, as he's doing the rebuild, is probably feeling that fatigue and feeling like, I don't have that fire, that next level drive to fully transform this team. But he absolutely is going to leave the team in a better position than they were at the end of last season. But I think he leaves the club in a better position than they were when he took them over. And so in that way, I think the Graham's point, he has that sort of honorary scouser title. And I think if you walk away and the club falls apart and the team can't compete and you have 12 different areas of need for 11 starting positions... People might look at your your sort of reputation and look at you as a, a figure who left the club in the lurch. And I don't think yeah. anybody can, look, regardless of how the season finishes, I don't think anyone can look at him as having done that. Can I make the counter argument? So while I agree with a lot of that, um, by starting the rebuild last summer, he's kind of pointed this team in a certain direction that his successor might not necessarily want to continue. So let's say it's Xabi Alonso, excellent young manager, doing very well at Bayer Leverkusen. There is some overlap between him and Klopp, but there's a good article by John Muller in, in The Athletic about how they differ as managers and how Xabi Alonso likes um, short passes a little bit more, a little bit more possession-orientated. If Xabi Alonso comes in last summer, he has a cleaner canvas to build that team in his own image, whereas now you've got a good number of young players. Liverpool have got a lot younger over the last couple of years, whether it's Konate in defence or Gravenberch or um, McAllister... Um, a couple other midfielders that I'm blanking on right now, and then Darwin Nunes and Luis Diaz. They've kind of re rebuilt a lot of their squad over the last couple of years, and Xabi Alonso might find it more difficult to move some players on that don't fit with his vision of what he wants that team to be like. So I understand what you're saying. Liverpool are in a good position. Liverpool should be able to remain competitive after Klopp, and I think that might be his greatest achievement is setting Liverpool up for an era of success after he leaves. But I think there will still be some challenges for whoever comes in yeah. to remold, remold that team in whatever their image is. And it is, it is if we're going to continue with the why it's a little bit strange, there's also the, also the idea that he tells them in November they still haven't hired a sporting director. They've had an interim sporting director. And so, as I understand it, the plan is to hire a permanent new director, then move on from there to look at uh, potential new managers, and then also look at some contract renewals because Mohamed Salah, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and Virgil van Dijk all have, I believe, 18 months left on their deals. So at while I understand the rebuild, while I understand how he's put them into a stronger position, 
there is also a feeling that the club itself has a lot of work to do between now and the end of the season to put themselves yeah. in a position to not have a massive drop off or even a, a, a somewhat sizable drop off between this point and maybe the start of next season. Joe, uh, can we dig in maybe to the tactical side with Xabi Alonso? We've all kind of jumped to the conclusion that Alonso is the key candidate to take over from Klopp here. If that is the case, uh, to build on what Graham was saying, how much of a fit would he be for the the runway that Klopp has built? Generally, he's a fit, right? You look at how a lot of the big teams in Europe and a lot of the big teams who are doing well in Europe and Bayer Leverkusen this year are very much in that category, still on top of the Bundesliga. You look at how they play, and there are many more similarities than there are differences, right? All of these teams tend to want to keep the ball. A lot of them like short passing more than basically every other team in their league. There are differences, though, when you look at that group of teams, when you look at the Man Cities and Liverpools and Bayer Leverkusen's and Bayern Munich's and Barcelona, right? There are differences within, within the big clubs based on standings each year and how they actually execute on that tactical approach. And one thing that has defined Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool is still even compared to the other possession-dominant teams, both in England and around Europe, they like to press. They like to be engaged. They like to be energetic. That was the big thing for Klopp coming over to Germany, and that's the stereotypical German thing, is pressing and counter-pressing. And there's some good reasons for that. Klopp, even while becoming more possession-dominant over the years, has still led one of the most aggressive pressing teams in all of Europe. Xabi Alonso, the, the manager that I'm sure... Ryan, are there betting odds on this thing on, in terms of who the next manager is going to be? There's got to be, right? If there are, Xabi Alonso's name is well and clear at the top of that list. Yeah. Jurgen Klopp presses. Xabi Alonso doesn't really press when the three of us... Sorry, Taylor, you missed this one on your favorite team, and I feel bad about that still to this day. When Very we did cool. the big thing on Bayer Leverkusen and talked about how they play, yes, they will press from time to time, but they, are, they mirror Manchester City's pressing numbers and, and like to be back in a mid-block much more than they mirror Liverpool's aggressive high-pressing 4-3-3, or regardless of what the shape is, just the high-pressing principles, period. So that's a big shift from Xabi Alonso to Jurgen Klopp. It's a notable decrease in pressing from Klopp to Alonso. And the other factor here is there's a lot of possession differences in how these teams play. Leverkusen love to keep the ball on the ground. They love a lot of short, dynamic passes through midfield. They like to use little combinations and third-man runs. And Liverpool do a lot of that stuff, too, but they also play a lot more direct passes. They like to play long balls. They like to get Mo Salah running in behind rather than have their wide attackers tuck inside and create overloads in central midfields. So there, there are a lot of differences in what these managers want to do. I'm not convinced that there are so many that it doesn't make sense, right? Xabi Alonso still seems to be a very good coach, even though he is not solely responsible for the success that's happening at Bayer Leverkusen right now, nor is Jurgen Klopp for the success that Liverpool have had over the last six, seven years or so. Right? But they are both parts of that machine, and I think Alonso is a very useful part. But it's not as easy as, okay, let's get this guy in. He's doing great in Germany. We got Klopp from Germany. Bang, bang, boom, we're all done, and we're back in the Champions League competition every year competing for trophies. I do think the pressing is a, is a point that you've, you've made well, Joe. And then I think some of the, the passing differences, just in the idea that like Mohamed Salah is so effective with those direct balls in behind with direct running, that might not be as much of a thing that Xavi Alonso wants. He doesn't want his team like sending it wide and having those direct attacks or he doesn't want that to be a primary feature of their game. I think you're right, Joe, that it's not a philosophical shift. It's not going from Jurgen Klopp to Jose Mourinho or something like that. But I, but I do think the direction in which the club heads is one of the more interesting things about this decision and what comes next. Um, Pausing for a moment to make it like a local reference, uh, the VCU Rams, when they went to the Final Four uh, many years ago, they did so in the basketball uh, with their basketball program by 
playing a havoc defense, like a high pressing defense from start to finish. You press high, uh, you work, they do like seal team training to be physically fit to do it. When Shaka Smart leaves uh, for bigger and better things, the program sticks with that identity. And it, and it becomes, if you're a coach coming in, you have to play that style. That is our style now. And you have, you can have adjustments to it. You can have different ways of doing it, but ultimately we want high intensity, high energy basketball. And, and you can go that route. And I think it will be really interesting to see if Liverpool go with a manager who will embrace that philosophy and that heavy metal football and have those pressing numbers and be a pressing club. Or is it a somewhat hard reset? And is it we're giving the keys to a new manager who has a different identity and we're going to let the club sort of mold around his identity? And I, and I don't think one is better than the other, but I think it's really interesting which direction they will go. I have the feeling that Xabi Alonso is the perfect mix of being close enough to Klopp that it's not a hard reset, but being different enough that he keeps things fresh. Because yep. replacing a legendary manager is such a difficult thing to balance. And I think we've tried to see other teams try to find a direct replacement for the style, for the type of character that they are. And that that was never going to happen for those teams. And I don't see it happening for Liverpool. They're not going to find another Jurgen Klopp. As I say, I think you want someone who has overlap with the previous manager, but, but can bring his own thing to keep players engaged and challenge them. And to my eye, Xabi Alonso is that figure. I'm just looking at the betting odds. odds. He is the odds-on favourite. Yeah. Can anyone guess some other candidates that are on that list? Xabi, just, Xabi's got to be on it. He's not on that list. No, maybe this maybe this needs updated from Allardyce, the weekend. Allardyce, Allardyce, Sam Allardyce is uh, not in Nagelsmann? the top. Nagelsmann's got to be yeah, on Yeah, Nagelsmann is in there. So Deserby. he's 12 to 1. Deserby's, Deserby's second favourite, 7 to 1. Pep Linders in there? Have, uh, no, can't see him. Ange Postacoglu, big, big Ange. Liverpool a, fan as a yeah. childhood, uh, as, as a boy, uh, Ange Postacoglu. Oh, Xavi is Ooh. here. Sorry, Joe. 20 to All 1, right. 25 to 1. If they want so. to keep consistency, I mean, they've got a Jürgen. Jürgen Klinsmann could soon be available. Uh, Jürgen oh. Klinsmann on that <laughs> list somewhere? No? Shocking. I like the idea of Xavi Alonso coming into interview and they're like, oh, sorry, one last thing. Is your is your name actually Jürgen? Because that's are a you? big deal breaker for us. Are You're you Jeff now. Jeff You're Klopp? Jeff now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ryan beat me to it. <laughs> um, so it's maybe the, the, the switch to Alonso, uh, Taylor, we're going from heavy metal football to like 90s alt rock. We're going from like Pantera to Pearl Jam. They could both be on the same headlining bill, but they're not the same one and the same. Oh, I mean, Xavi Alonso is is soulful acoustic rock. Thank you very much. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. I think to have a we we have seen many many times the former player, formerly beloved player, coming in to manage a team not work out so well. But I think that is oftentimes because you are riding that popularity of of the manager as a player uh, to hope like to kind of push you uh, further down the road. Whereas in this case, Xavi Alonso. Yeah. It does have that reputation, but also has the managerial acumen that we've seen this season to back that up. Yeah, this feels different. If he didn't have that Liverpool connection, he would still be in the running yep. for this job, having led Bayer Leverkusen to the top of that the, mm-hmm. the Bundesliga table. So it feels a little bit different to like Frank Lampard or even Solskjaer. Do, Graham, do you see any scenario where Alonso doesn't get this job? Um, if Real Madrid collapse between now and the end of the season and Ancelotti yep. goes, is the only way I, I envisage him going anywhere else. Other than that, it's nailed on. I think he'll he'll be the. Liverpool when did manager. they When did they renew Ancelotti? Do you uh, know? December or early this month? Is there any chance that maybe <laughs> Liverpool do already have this sort of done, and that's why Real Madrid renewed Ancelotti? Because like I could see a scenario in which they uh. were maybe thinking about Xavi Alonso. They reach out, and his representatives say like. We can't really explain, but he is not going to be available for conversations. He'll be going somewhere else or whatever. And so then Real Madrid renew Carlo Ancelotti. That is the conspiracy brain talking. But it, <laughs> Graham, I'm with you that Real Madrid is the only other one that feels like it could be a competitor and did seem like they were going to be needing Possibly. a manager and now don't. 
Yeah, he's had a tab open on his his Chrome browser looking at houses on Mersey in Merseyside yeah. for the last couple of months. So it's, a, it's a possibility. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's an interesting scenario for sure. We shall see how it pans out. Or either way, Graham, it's got to be this and when uh, when uh, Pep Guardiola is replaced, the two toughest gigs in managerial history in present surely history in present doesn't make any sense you know what i'm trying to say those two are very do, yeah. hard to replace can i yeah can I and, I, one, and I, one thing on there sorry sorry graham I, I think you're right in a lot of respects ryan i also think the liverpool job is a really attractive one because yes the bar has been set very very high by jurgen klopp won the league set multiple different points records for liverpool in the premier league hitting 97 then hitting 99 and actually getting that that whole thing done going to the champions league final winning the champions league they've done a lot of things very very well even fans, even I think a lot of Liverpool fans understand that they've overperformed what is expected of the club. I'm not saying all of them do, but I think there is a sense of rationality looking at where the big money is in the Premier League right now and that it's with Manchester City and to a slightly lesser extent right now it's with Newcastle. I think going to the Liverpool job is a really, really good place to be because if you finish in the top four, by and large, that is a successful season. You make a run in the Champions League. You make a run in a cup competition. You push for the title in the Premier League every year or two. And you've done a really, really good job. I think when someone comes in to replace Pep Guardiola, that is a whole nother level of difficulty yeah. to actually go in and, and reach the level of both the club internally and the fans externally. See, I don't know if I fully agree with that, Joe. Just because Manchester City, their structure seems to be more solid than Liverpool's is right now. So Liverpool, they lost Michael Edwards a couple of years ago to Taylor's sure. point at the top of the show. Haven't really replaced him. And there's a little bit of confusion over who's leading transfer strategy at the moment. Klopp seems to have had a, a big say on that. Pep yeah. Guardiola, I agree to a point in a coaching sense, matching what Guardiola has done at City is going to be almost impossible for whoever replaces him. But going into that structure, you know, Omar Barada has gone to Manchester City and the message from Man- from uh, has gone to Manchester United, excuse me. The message from City seems to be, fine, we are structure strong without him. We've got a uh, cheeky boy, Begeristein, whose name I can never pronounce. Cheeky cheeky. Story, Seriano, a number of other recruitment people to, whose names I surely can't fair. pronounce either. Uh, but... It, yeah. it would be odd if they were like, yep, we're done. <laughs> like, you took our yeah. guy. That's all we had. <laughs> like, I think they probably have to do that one way or the other. But I hear your point, Graham, all the same. I do think, to Joe's point, there is a thing, like, if I give you a blank piece of paper and say, draw draw me a masterpiece, there is so much, like, flexibility in there. And that is what Man City is, because they have the financial resources and the ability to just say, we don't care about FFP, come and get us. Uh, there is maybe a little bit more pressure in that you you have truly carte blanche. And I think with Klopp, there is an idea that he has worked within the model that FSG has established, that he has at times, I think, pointed to a frustration, but more so a, like, yeah, we can't compete right now because we're not going to spend that amount of money. But he's never done the full Mourinho, the club isn't giving me what I want and it's not working. And I think that limitation does give you a an easy, like not an easier concept, but it's, if I'm going with the blank page analogy, at least this time, I'm like, draw me a bunny. At least you know then what I'm looking for when you're drawing something. And I think Xavi Alonso with his time at Bayer Leverkusen has had to work within financial constraints and has had to deal with not being the the biggest manager with the biggest club and, and having infinite resources. And so I think it also ticks that box that way that I can see him coming in with more of an expectation of you're going to have to work within our financial constraints versus we'll give you all the money, do whatever you want. One last question on this topic, Graham, before we take a break. Uh, what is next for Jurgen Klopp? I think it, as, as much as we automatically think that uh, Chabi Alonso is coming in, in my brain, he's automatically got his eye on that Germany job 
after the yeah. Euros. Is there anything else he could possibly be thinking of? <sighs> if he if he if he's running out of energy, presumably he doesn't want a top club job anymore. And the the national team level seems to be the perfect landing spot. DC United. DC United. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. If you're running out of energy, that seems like the club for you to go to after that. DC United. <laughs> I mean, that's um, the he's... players they sign, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's already said he's not going to coach another Premier League team, so we can rule that out entirely. I was trying to think earlier today. I was trying to think of jobs that might be on his his radar. Barcelona was Jabi leaving at the end of the season, but if he wants to take a sabbatical from a t- some time out from the game, that's not going to work. And Jabi Alonso, with all the things he's been saying about Barcelona, I'm not entirely sure exhausted Klopp will be uh, that willing to go into that situation. Xavi, you mean not Jabi Alonso? Sorry, yeah, Jabi Hernandez. Yeah, for, mo- the other for a moment, Xavi. I was like, "What's Jabi Alonso doing?" <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to tell you, Taylor. Yeah, it was, it was big news over the weekend. Um, uh, Bayern Munich, I guess they've cons- consistently linked with him. I know Thomas Tuchel's in there just now, but it seems like a little bit of an uneasy situation with him in charge, and just in general at Bayern Munich. And then there's the international management jobs. Brazil, Brazil get linked with every single big name manager at the moment. England, there'll be a position most likely there after the Euros, but you're right, Ryan. I think Germany is the most natural fit. Julian Nagelsmann, he is on a contract until the, the the Euros. Klopp could also take some time out. like He wouldn't need to take that job immediately after the Euros. He could take that job in early 2025 and, and have his time out from, from management. And international management, as uh, in its nature, it isn't quite as time-consuming as club management. So yeah, I think that, that feels like the natural next step for him. There you go. He could always just... Straight up stop as well. He, he said words to the effect of, uh, luckily, I don't have to work anymore thanks to Liverpool. So, you know, there's also the option that he could take a step back. We never know. We'll, we That's what see. a normal person would do, but yeah. football managers are not normal people. So I anticipate we'll see him back at some point. Do you think he's going to be a Roy Hodgson-esque, like 74 years old somewhere on the sideline, <laughs> Graham? I'm not sure if we'll see that, but we uh, time will tell. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some soccer and then also the situation at Barcelona. Back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let's take a look at the FA Cup fourth round. We'll take a break from talking about Jurgen Klopp to go to Liverpool 5, Norwich 2. The Klopp love in beginning at Anfield here. Rousing reception he got at Anfield. Pretty automatic win for Liverpool here. Maybe that was the timing, Graham. He just thought, I've got a a gimme win coming up this weekend and I can have a nice uh, egotistical celebration. Oh, I'm being cynical. Yeah, well, even more cynical. What if this is a ploy? 
and he's actually got he's going to pull a Ferguson and stay at the end of the season and this is just to energize Liverpool between now and the end of the season and this yeah. is the, this is the start of it he although having said that not Norwich get do Norwich not get thumped by Liverpool every single time they do. not yeah so it's this five is five goal course. minimum I think Norwich have against uh, Liverpool <laughs> yeah. all times yes you're quite right I you're right Graham I think he, he could be like dangling the, the keys in front of Xavi Alonso right at the end of the season goes no uh not now we shall see yeah Wolf of Wall Street style <laughs> uh, Ipswich had a two one loss to sixth tier Maidstone as well. They're in the National League South. Ipswich are uh, promotion candidates to the Premier League this season. One of the big FA Cup shops, certainly the biggest one of this season as well. 98 places in the league grand between these two sides. Uh, this was Maidstone's seventh match in the FA Cup this year. It is the fourth round. So obviously they've done some uh, preliminary rounds as well. The stats, Graham, I watched this game because <laughs> I had a vested interest in it, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, 38 shots to two, 13 on target to two, crucially for Joe. I include yep. that information. Thank and 78% right. possession for Ipswich as well. They hit the woodwork a bunch, but it was just one of those games where it just wouldn't go in for Ipswich. Yeah. Very frustrating. Yeah, look, you're going to have to ride your luck at times to get a result like this, and Maidson certainly did that. The Ipswich hit the post, as you say, twice in the first half. They had a lot of shooting opportunities. But it's just such an incredible story they are that the first sixth-tier team to make the last 16 of the FA Cup since 1978 when Blythe Spartans uh, did it. So even by the usual standards of getting a, a few big upsets every season, this is pretty historic. And there was so much to to like about this game, the way that Maidson took their chances, particularly the the first goal, the little chipped finish by Lamar Reynolds is so audacious and so well executed. And actually, both goals, they only had two shots uh, in the whole game, as you say, Ryan, but both attacks were so well constructed. The, mm. the finish for, by the, for the, the winner by Sam Korn is a little bit fortunate in that I think it gets a touch of one foot before the other, before it goes into the back of the net. But the way that they cut through Ipswich, who are going for promotion to the Premier League at the top of the Championship right now, was very, very impressive. So I loved the two goals. I uh, I loved the Maidson fan falling from the upper tier celebrating one of the goals. By the way, that fan seems to be okay, so that's why I find that I find that funny. And I also thought it was funny the disappointment that Maidson had at drawing Sheffield Wednesday or Coventry in yeah. the next round. So they were getting filmed by live TV as the draw was happening. Obviously, people anticipating the big kind of celebration moment when they draw. Manchester United or Manchester City and they were down to the last four teams with Manchester City in there with them and they got another championship team which they were not so happy yeah. about but yeah I, I think uh, potentially they might, they might go out in the next round although who knows Ipswich are better than both Coventry and Sheffield Wednesday so maybe this run will continue a little bit longer maybe it will and listen just as a reminder uh, a, a, a lower level team in the FA Cup will likely want a big opponent like Man City or Man United because they'll get half the gate money from that game and it's a huge it's a financially massive it can make massive yeah. changes in their club it could pay and also he's got a, a chance of, of knocking my united out of this competition yeah. this season as well yeah. so so that. there you go even though Sheffield Wednesday or Coventry are more <laughs> winnable games less desirable speaking of the devil Man United with a uh, a 4-2 win over Newport County League 2's Newport County along with uh, America's team Wrexham in League 2 Newport County also in there as well representing Wales just the 73 league places separating these two uh, United had a two goal lead in this game Graham and then they didn't and then they yeah. won 
I really should learn my lesson with Manchester United because at 2-0 up after 12 minutes, I thought they were going to coast through this match. Um, but even against League 2 opposition, Manchester United find a way to be Manchester United. They were pulled back into the game again. I know the first, the first goal is a bit unfortunate in that it picks up a deflection of uh, Lissandro Martinez and goes in. But in the way that Newport fought back, there were signs of the same old lack of defensive intensity from Manchester United. And for the second goal, Diego Dallo is just not doing enough to prevent the cross. Then you have the comments from Bruno Fernandes after the match where he basically said players were being too greedy in front of goal. I mean, he might he could have just tagged Alejandro Garnacho because there was a couple of times when he takes on the shot, should have squ- squared it. Hoyland has scored three goals this season, uh, not including Champions League goals, and none of them have been assisted by a teammate, which tells a story in its own right. So I think Bruno Fernandes has a point. Marcus Rashford missing for this game because he was, quote, uh, air quotes here, ill but also training, confusingly. He was hungover. That was the reason. There's media reports that he was in Belfast at a nightclub on Wednesday night when he had training the next day, called in sick for training on Thursday, was left out of the squad for this one. So I'm not entirely sure what's going on with, going on with him right now. The Newport fans, one of them had a sign saying, Rashford, can we have your week's wages? Uh, which I thought was quite enjoyable. <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of disrespect being paid. to. I mean, this is an international journey. Manchester United had to go to a different country. They did. They had to beat... The third division South champions from 1939, the conference premier playoff winners from 2013. I mean, this is a strong team. They won the Hellenic League in 1990. Did uh, I might just have their Wikipedia page open in front of me. I'm just saying it is a very it's not a stern uh, test. Yeah, this was ridiculous. Uh, and it was definitive Manchester United, as Graham already said. Uh, and now I just hang my head. Yay. All right, some Friday games to talk about. Chelsea with a goalless draw with Aston Villa. A fourth round replay that neither team needs or wants there, but Villa looked more likely to score in that one, certainly by my eye. And Joe, we had running at the same time, uh, Man City with a 1-0 win over Tottenham. Nathan Arke with a late goal to put City through there at a stadium where they had a terrible record. This is their first win in their last six visits, Joe. I'm still stuck on the Hel- Hellenic League or whatever that was, Taylor. Hellenic? That was fantastic. What a yeah. pull that is from Wikipedia. Deep cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, Man City, even though you know maybe, maybe this is a tough spot for them to play typically, they were the better team pretty clearly in this game. We've seen some pretty entertaining matches from both of these teams this year. There was a 3-3 draw between both of these squads. I don't remember when it was, but it is etched in my memory somewhere at this point. I think that gives the illusion in some ways that these teams are probably closer than they are, as does this result. You actually watch the game through. City were pretty close to dominant in this match. Yeah, it takes them till the 88th minute to get that goal from Nathan Ake. But like they were they were good in this game and they gave Tottenham very, very little. I know Tottenham's still not quite at full strength right now, but man, Man City kind of showed that they are still a level or two above certainly Tottenham and that they're very much not done when it comes to various competitions competitions in England this year. Indeed. Uh, Newcastle with a 2-0 win at Fulham elsewhere. Uh, West Brom, uh, their 2-0 defeat to Wolves, local rivals Wolves, was suspended for nearly 40 minutes because of crowd trouble. Some very unpleasant scenes at the Hawthorns there. Uh, Brighton had a 5-2 win over Sheffield United. Jao Pedro with a hat-trick in that one. And uh, Luton with a 2-1 win over Everton. Luton and Everton seem to... Do they play every week? From what I can tell, I think they do. Um, it's <laughs> Corley Woodrow, their substitute. Excellent name. Broke his hand in the process of providing the match winner. James Tarkovsky fell on him. And uh, Everton fans are booing their own team again, Graham, which is customary also at this point. Well, Luton haven't won many games this season, but that's twice they've won at Goodison Park. So I'm not yeah. entirely sure what is going on there. 
Oh dear, oh dear. Uh, talk about not sure what's going on there. Should we go to La Liga and Barcelona with a 5-3 defeat at the hands of Villarreal at home? An eight-goal thriller here, but not too thrilling for the Barca fans. They're now 10 points behind Real Madrid in the title race, their third loss in five matches. But, Graham, of course, the headline here is Xavi will leave at the end of the season. He's been in charge since November 2021. Uh, there were some interesting quotes he gave in this uh, coming out of this. It wears yeah. you down terribly in terms of health, of mental health, your mood, your emotional state. I'm a positive guy, but the energy goes down, down, down Can until I... the point at which you say it makes no sense to continue. That's I how I explain in, it. I have to Jeff. jump in, Ryan, just to add, the beginning of that quote is, it's a cruel job, it wears you down. And I think yeah. referring to the Barcelona gig as a cruel job is a nice way to salt the earth behind you mm. as you as you step away like have fun incoming manager it's gonna suck your soul out and make you wish you'd never taken the gig good luck that was nice of Javi. that was that was a nice little uh shot to add in there yeah from him. It, he's also saying uh look forward to the rest of this season guys under me and my <laughs> attitude it's gonna be great <laughs> yeah that was the first question i saw posed and it is an interesting one of like if you are leaving for all the reasons you've cited with the team in complete disarray like does he finish the season? Do they like it is a smart move. I saw this pointed out that like if you're a manager under fire, just say you're going to leave at the end of the season and then they can't sack you for the next six months. I do wonder if things don't turn around, if things stay as they are or Barcelona fall off even more, if they do sort of push for a change sooner rather than later. But uh, I think with him announcing stepping down, I don't know how you can just kind of force him out the door more than they already have. Okay. Uh, actually, Joe, let me come to you. I, I posed earlier that uh, replacing Klopp or Pep would be the toughest job in soccer. Could it actually be coming to Barcelona right now would be the toughest job in soccer? It, it kind of feels that way, right? I don't know why anybody would want this job. And I guess I'll, I'll caveat that with saying it's still a massive job. It is a good career opportunity for managers with less exposure. But if you're coming into Barcelona and expecting to succeed right now, and that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, it seems like inside of FC Barcelona, that means winning stuff. If you're coming into Barcelona and trying to win stuff, now is not a very good time. This Barcelona team don't have money to spend. There are big questions when it comes to their number nine position right now. Robert Lewandowski, yes, they bring in Victor Roque from Brazil, still just 18 years old. Lewandowski maybe probably isn't going to be there when next season starts. What are you doing there? Do you have the financial ability to go out and find another starting caliber player? Can you actually go out there and match Real Madrid for depth and for top end talent? Right now, it looks to me like the answer is no. It's not like there isn't quality in this team, but man, this is a very, very difficult job. Barcelona fans are notoriously difficult on their managers. The club is very poorly run right now. I mean, we talk about Manchester United and their flaws a lot. Uh, Barcelona have a, a lot, a lot, a lot of flaws themselves. So I would personally not want to be coming into this job and put under the same microscope that Xavi's been put under. With that being said, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a couple of up-and-coming managers in La Liga throwing themselves at this gig because, like it or not, the Barcelona brand is still incredibly strong. To double down on your point, Joe, and I should like hold my hands up and say, I am definitely coming at this from the perspective of forget who wrote the piece for The Athletic, but it's basically like Xavi Alonso didn't help, but he is not the problem at Barcelona. And that's definitely where I am in this one. Xavi Hernandez. Xavi Alonso. <laughs> I'm doing that again. See, now it's my turn. Ryan, yes. it's you uh, and me Xavi. up next. Before the end of the episode, we're doing it. <laughs> but I, I, I do, I, I thought it was really interesting that when he takes over, he is not the, uh, the, the president's man. He had backed the opposition candidate. Uh, and so there's already tension there. But then between the end of last season when they win the league and this season, there were basically four decision makers at Barcelona, uh, Xavi being one of them. 
And now it is basically just Xavi. All those other people have have left and been replaced by personnel who, it seems like, including Deco, uh, do not want Xavi's input into the team and have made signings that are the opposite of what Xavi has asked for. They have forced him to start players when he has said he did not want to start those players. He wanted to give them a rest, but they needed the prize money in the Champions League. So he plays players in dead rubber matches because they need that income. And it does feel like it's not just the squad itself. It's not just the egos. It's the fact that there are other decision makers who are doing what they think they need to do sort of regardless of what the manager asks. And it's wild to me that a manager who won the league last season began this campaign with less control and less input than he had the year past. And, and I think that is a huge sign of where things are with Barcelona. And I don't know what manager comes in. Like I see, keep seeing Hansi Flick linked and it's sort of like Hansi Flick who was forced out by Bayern because they weren't buying the players he wanted. They weren't giving him the control he wanted. There was too much meddling from the boardroom. All of that feels like like exactly what you're going to get when you go yeah. to Barcelona. So maybe it is to your point, Joe, that it's a huge club and people just want that challenge. But there are so many different factors here. I don't know how this works out in the short term. Barca, they don't know what they want to be at the moment. Obviously, you, you have the financial issues, but talking about the identity of the club, there's not really a clear vision there from the executive level. And that was the most encouraging thing about the first season and a half of Xavi as Barcelona manager. Obviously, he, he wins the title last season, so there's some tangible success there. But the most encouraging thing to my eye was he was clear in what he wanted to do. He wanted to get Barcelona playing like Barcelona again, which broadly means possession soccer. And he wanted to reestablish the pathway with La Masia again. And he did that to a certain extent. Barca had control of most matches they played last season. Their defence benefited from this. They had this incredible defensive record last season, which I thought was a was a, a little bit misleading because their defence was never that strong. But that came from the control that they were having in games and they got younger as well with players like Gavi and Pedri and Lamine Yamal and a, and a few others as well it was a there was a good number I think in the double figures of players who got first team opportunities youth players who got first team opportunities last season and then somewhere along the line it's all gone wrong and the collapse has been pretty stark and you have to link it to Taylor you, you mentioned the the front office upheaval that's happened with Jordi Cruyff leaving and Matu uh, Alemani leaving as well, who were had that close relationship with Xavi. Mm-hmm. And then Deco coming in as a sporting director, who must have played with Xavi. They, they must have played together in the same team, which just shows you that just because you've played together doesn't mean that you're the best of pals because their relationship seems to be frosty uh, and has been frosty since he, is, he has come in. And as you mentioned, Juan, Juan Laporta... His relationship with Xavi has never been that that warm, even when things were going well last season. So accumulation of a number of different things. Some of Xavi's decisions making as well, I think, has been questionable. I don't really understand where the structure of this team has gone. Obviously, Sergio Busquets leaves at the end of last season. That was a huge loss, and they never they've, they've never been able to replace him. But then some of the other decisions with personnel, I think Xavi did have a say in, and that has been a little bit confusing. Rafinha was a player that apparently he pushed to be signed. And I don't, I didn't really understand that one, and I still don't understand that one. So it's just an absolute mess at Barcelona right now, and I'm not entirely sure how they recover. I had uh, forgotten that Deco was there as sporting director. Best eyebrows in the game, by the way. He's got a couple of Eugene Levies going on on his face. Very impressive he does. <laughs> Very good. Um, so, so what happens next, I suppose, Graham, for Barcelona? Could could there be a coach out there, maybe who's worked at Barcelona before, say as a translator for Sir Bobby Robson, who's oh please unemployed right oh, now? Please make could it happen. Be? Oh, I mean, it's not going to happen and it shouldn't happen. 
but I want it to happen just for the pure chaos. <laughs> there was a, there was a time when Joseph we're, con- we're talking about Joseph Mourinho by the yeah. way. Um, Joseph Mourinho <clears throat> actually thought he was getting the job before Pep Guardiola. That's the story where that sort of that rivalry comes from, as he'd been promised awesome. that job. Then Pep Guardiola gets it in, in the end, and he swears a, a a blood grudge against Barcelona for the rest of his career, including the the Inter win against Barcelona in the Champions League, where he sprints across the Camp Nou pitch to celebrate in front of the director's box. I don't think it will happen. As I say, it shouldn't happen. But please, that's what I want for Christmas this year is Jose Mourinho as Barcelona manager. <laughs> Would that be the least popular managerial appointment ever? Like, I think yes, of Rafa Benitez so. being appointed at Chelsea and how much they did not like that. Uh, I, I Yeah, I struggle to think of a manager who would annoy the fan base more than that. And yet, with where he is in his career and where Barcelona are in terms of their finances... I, I don't know. You're still getting a, a, a name manager in there. I, stranger things have happened, One although I can't remember. Luis Vigo? Could Luis Vigo annoy them more, possibly? <laughs> that might be it. I don't know. Again, Jurgen Klinsmann could be available, so I think I think it's pretty much solved. <laughs> Anyone have any guess as to realistically what happens next so, year? The names right. that I've seen mentioned, uh, Imanol, the Real Sociedad manager, and Michel, Michel, of course, we've talked yeah. about him this season at, at Girona, Pellegrini at Real Betis. Obviously, this is early speculation. I don't know if anything will be solid at this point. Um, those are the options that I've seen. Hansi Flick, Taylor mentioned him. I've seen his name in newspaper articles as well. But I don't maybe, think any of it is solid right now. Maybe this makes too much sense, and therefore it's not solid, like Graham is saying. Michelle feels like the obvious one, doesn't it? Like, winning the title with Girona, overperforming, certainly, even though we all expect Whoa, that club to continue... Down, <laughs> to continue to be uh, uh, sort of a player near the top, you know, European spots in the La Liga for years to come. But Michelle feels like just the the obvious pick stylistically. It's a fit. There's a lot of things that I think make sense about this move. Not that I think he's going to succeed necessarily, but I feel like that would be a good launch point for his career uh, and certainly a level that he has not yet hit. I don't think this is bias, but... I will own that I don't see... <laughs> That's a great way to start a sentence. I mean, Sorry. I just want to be... I, because I'm going to ask you all, but I, I don't see a positive. I do not see a reason why a person would want to take over Barcelona right now, aside from that it's Barcelona. And they are a club with the history and stature that they have. But it seems like they continue to have no money, maybe even less money because the lever thing is now being limited. Um, and they also can't continue to sell off assets the way they have. I look at their squad and I see... Some players who are good, but a lot of players who don't seem to fit, who don't seem to be particularly motivated, or who are there on loan, or who don't really fit, or were brought in by different people for different reasons, I struggle to see areas of, like, enthusiasm. But again, that's where I say this may be biased, so I would ask you all, like, are there points that you think they can build around? Are there reasons why a manager would look at that team and think, a few little changes here, one more addition, I've got a squad that's going to win La Liga? I think, Taylor, that's quite common in soccer. You could argue that the last few Man United appointments, you could say it would be undesirable. There'd be a few positives in that sense. But I think a lot I think of it is the financial ego. thing is the difference. I've seen that argument. I just disagree because there's always going to be money. Even if Manchester United are limited in what they're doing now, they are not running at a net loss to the extent that like they cannot spend and can't register players. The financial but- thing is really the big obstacle for me. Barcelona are in a position where they can effectively never go bust, though, right? Because of the way they're supported by the city essentially so 
They're a test nut theory. They really are. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's an ego, an ego element to it. I think there's an element you look at that and think there is potential <clears throat> because the only way is up. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good point, Taylor. So great. I think the answer is Gavi and Pedri, mm-hmm. to be honest. And and the the track record that Barcelona have of producing excellent young players. I know Pedri comes from Las Palmas, but they get him in at a very early age. So that, that midfield in particular is... In terms of personnel, it's been a real flaw this season. I don't really understand why, but in terms of the individuals, Gavi, Pedri, who both of them can't stay fit, that might be a reason why Barcelona have struggled this season. But even Frankie de Jong, I'm a massive fan of Frankie de Jong. Ilkay Gundogan, in amongst the chaos, has been one of Barcelona's best players this season. So if I'm looking at an area of the team, I think the midfield is, is quite strong. They could potentially build around that. I, I, think, I think the answer, Taylor, even though I agree with you and I wouldn't take this job, I don't think... Uh, the answer is, I think you can get anywhere from being Barcelona manager and doing a pretty good job. You can't get anywhere from being a Girona manager. You can't get anywhere from being a Real Batiste manager. It's a risk. It absolutely is a risk. But there are only so many of those jobs that have the gateway to anywhere you want to go, as long as you do an okay to good job. And you only get so many cracks at those jobs in one career. Yeah. Uh, and, and for most managers, it's zero. For some managers, it's one. For very, very few, it's more than one. And you get to that more than one status by doing okay to good at a club like Barcelona. Whether or not it's a, a rational idea or not, it's a risky one for sure, but it does present yeah. opportunities that very few other jobs do. I would also argue that Barcelona were in a worse state. I know it's shades of grey at this point, but they were in a worse state before Xavi came in. The, the end of the Ronald Koeman era, the weird Kiki Setien half-season where Lionel Messi leaves, there's that tear, tearful uh, press conference, Martin Braithwaite is signed to be like a first-team player. <laughs> they are in a better position. They've got better players than they did at that point. So An emergency first-team player. An emergency yeah. first-team player. And relegated Leganes hey. in, in the process to, to, yeah. to, to sign him. Um, they were worse, uh, a worse team at that point, and in a worse situation as, as, as well um, than they are now. Does that, does that uh, Braithwaite situation remind us that La Liga will always slightly amend their rules to make sure that Barcelona stay in the mix? On the one hand, yes, but then I look at how they tried to get around like the restrictions to be able to sign Messi and just not pay him anything, and even there, the league refused to bend, and that is a sizable moment for me. That like losing the the best player in the world, the biggest player in your league, undeniably the biggest player in the league at that point, uh, letting him go on a free to PSG out of principle of like we are not letting you all bend the rules even more. I guess there is a point when the rules can't be bent anymore if you're La Liga, but. Then again, uh, maybe that just uh, like that's the uh, like we gave you one or you gave us one. So now you can bend them all you want. Who knows? <laughs> Fair enough exchange. Uh, Real Madrid with a 2-1 win over Las Palmas this weekend. A comeback win. Aurelien Turmeni with a header for the win in that one. Uh, Real Madrid went top on Saturday, but they were usurped once again by Girona on Sunday, who had a 1-0 win at Rafa Benitez's Celta Vigo. Uh, Joe's already called um, Girona for the title, as he mentioned earlier in this episode. With Xabi Alonso well, so. as manager, I heard as well. Correct. Let's keep that going. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Jeff. All right, let's take a quick break. <laughs> when we come back, uh, more of Europe, AFCON, Asia Cup, much more back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Soccer Show, welcome back. A quick jump to the Bundesliga, where Bayern Munich had a 3-2 win over Augsburg. Harry Kane gets the vital third goal in that one. Eric Dyer making the first start for him uh, in the Bayern Munich. Uh, Joe, did you catch that one? <laughs> oh, that was so good, Ryan. Yeah, I watched a good chunk of both of these games. The, the big storyline in the Bundesliga right now, obviously, is the title race. Leverkusen I thought were the better team against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Bayern, I, I thought, were the better team against Augsburg. Neither one of those things is a surprise. But what needs to happen for both of these teams in the title race is for one of them to get a little fortunate. And Bayern did get a little fortunate in some ways in this 3-2 win over Augsburg. Uh, not so fortunate in that they lost Kingsley Coman to an MCL mm. tear. I thought that would immediately take him out for the rest of the year. All of the reading I did and all of the phrasing in different articles, even from Bayern, about Kingsley Coman is that he would be out for several weeks. Now, maybe there's a chance that he comes back before the end of the season. Maybe that doesn't even matter to Bayern Munich at all. I mean, losing him will hurt, but they have plenty of other quality as well. Uh, but there is a little chink now in Bayern Munich's armor. Also, Kingsley Coman has that, that trophy streak, right, where he's won the, the league title every single season of his professional career. Maybe this is the year that that ends, or maybe it's not, because Leverkusen dropped points. It is now just a two-point gap between Bayern and Leverkusen, and... We get these two teams playing in two weeks. They'll play on Saturday, February 10th. Woof, looking forward to that one. Leverkusen, as you mentioned there, with a nil draw over uh, against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Dortmund with a 3-1 win against Bochum. Niklas Fulkrug with a hat-trick in that one. And Stuttgart pulling off a 5-2 win over RB Leipzig. Leipzig have now lost uh, their past three matches in the Bundesliga. Yikes! Uh, let's go to Serie A, shall we? We're into Milan. Had a 1-0 win over Fiorentina. Latoro Martinez with a header to put Inter back on top in that one. Uh, Juventus had a 1-1 draw at Empoli. They squandered the chance to increase their lead over Inter, and they certainly did not do. Uh, uh, Milik with a straight red for a pretty punchy challenge in that one, if you've seen that one, listener. And what do we have with Milan? We had a 2-2 draw against Bologna, the game halted briefly against Bologna in the 16 minute to show support for keeper Mike Magnon and the uh, the racist uh, abuse that he received last weekend. He wears number 16, so there was a pause in the 16th minute. They had a, a Martin Luther King Jr. quote on the stadium screen, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Graham, did you catch that one? Yeah, I caught that I caught that match and I also um saw the the Mike Mignon stuff to be honest. Um my my to- tolerance isn't maybe the right words but it's it's running thin on these kind of public displays of um of good sentiment and goodwill it's all, it's all very well meaning and I back it to an extent but do something about it now. Like this isn't enough. Like point points deductions or stadium closures there, ne- there needs to be something more than this because this is just the the way that this cycle has been for Serie A the last few years as they have these public displays and then nothing happens. So I want to see what comes after um, this weekend. But in terms of the match itself, this was a real missed opportunity for AC Milan to put pressure on Juventus. As you mentioned, Ryan, they drew against Empoli. Juventus are above Milan in the table. Milan missed two penalties. They had a 2-1 lead heading into stoppage time. Um, and at that point, it looks like being remembered as the Ruben Loftus-Cheek game because he'd scored both goals with late runs into the box. He's, he's really starting to grow as a key player 
for AC Milan, but Bologna won a penalty of, of their own in stoppage time, secured a point at two-two. And to be honest, um, while the narrative might say they snatched the point, I thought they were I thought they were pretty good value for it. They did a, a lot of things to earn it for themselves. Uh, Josh, Joshua Zerkzi scored one, had a golden opportunity to score another. Uh, Bologna, they were finding space in the wide areas. Their crossing was good. They're a good team. Uh, and I wonder if we were talking about Barcelona, potential next Barcelona managers, Thiago Mota, I mm. think has to be mentioned as well, obviously has the Barcelona connection, um, but he might be on a short list somewhere in Catalonia this summer. Indeed. And Joshua Jerksey coming to a Premier League near you quite surely at some point as well. Uh, PSV with a 2-0 win over Almere City. Uh, Luke de Jong with a brace there and an assist for one of those goals from Mr. Serginio Dest. A nice cross coming into the box from Dest in that one. Uh, should we go to AFCON? Uh, where should we start here, Joe? How about Angola's 3-0 win over Namibia? Uh, there was a bit of a nightmare red card incident with the keeper in this yeah. one. Um, not how you should do the goalkeeping, I would say. Yeah, these games have been wild, and we'll get to the full AFCON roundup later on this week. But uh, as far as quick hits on these games, Angola, I-, I thought, played fairly well in this match, despite the chaos element. So their goalkeeper, Neblu, Gets a red card in the 17th minute for using his hands outside the box. It was like five yards outside the box. It, it was it was an honest mistake, but it, it was a mistake <laughs> indeed. Trying to stop a Namibia break. Uh, so they have to sub in their backup goalkeeper, Senor Antonio. And credit to him. They keep a clean sheet for, for 10 men, for having 10 men on the field for the vast majority of this match. Angola, I, I thought, did a pretty good job. Maybe I'll talk about some standout players later on this week. Um, the one weak point for Angola, and, and one that I'll be shocked if Nigeria don't exploit in the quarterfinals, is the quality of their individual center backs. I thought Namibia had some joy, a little bit of joy, not not maybe in terms of the final action here, but in some of the run of play stuff, I thought they had some joy isolating Angola's center backs 1v1. Uh, and they don't have Victor Osiman in their team. So there are reasons to be concerned if you're an Angola fan, but man, credit to them for making a run to the quarterfinals of this tournament because I did not expect that. Indeed. Nigeria in the quarterfinals too with a 2-0 win over Cameroon. Uh, Adam Lookman with a brace in this one. Uh, defensive mishaps are plenty in the opener in this one. Yeah. Cameroon failing to <laughs> register a shot on target also. I, I, uh, wow, man, you just did that to hurt me inside. I can feel it, Ryan. Uh, the, uh, the goalkeeper for Cameroon, I, I highlighted them before this tournament started as my chaos team. Guys, I feel like they lived up to that billing because you've had the whole Andre Onana uh, ridiculous situation right now. And then also you have Ondoa, who starts in goal for them in this game. Uh, maybe doing his best Andre Onana for Manchester United impression. There was some absurd stuff going on with Andoa in this game. So the first goal for Nigeria is scored in the 36th minute from Lukman. And it's Osiman playing Lukman in. Lukman shoots. The shot goes right through Andoa. Like, like right through him. It's almost like his body phases away from where the shot was very tamely rolling towards him. And it just like rolls into the back of the net. And this comes after Andoa came out flapping for a, a cross in the box in the first half that Nigeria scored on that sequence and it was chalked off after VAR. Like there was some ridiculous stuff going on in goal for Cameroon in this game. There's been support goalkeeping from some other squads in this tournament as well, but Cameroon's has been the most high profile. Nigeria just outclassed them. They were both of these teams in really a 3-4-3. Nigeria barely, barely gave up any chances and they both forced Cameroon into some mistakes and were gifted some as well. Uh, Nigeria, I think, are going to give Angola pretty much all they can handle in the quarterfinals. In the latest Guinea derby, we had Guinea uh, with a 1-0 win over Equatorial Guinea. And Taylor, we had a shootout. Egypt with a 1-1 draw uh, against the Congo, which was settled from the spot. Uh, Mm -hmm. Egypt's goalkeeper missing his penalty in the shootout. 
He did. He had an interesting performance. Uh, Mohamed Abu Gabal, who plays for National Bank of Egypt, which sounds like he is just a bank teller who also moonlights as a goalkeeper. Uh, he went the wrong way eight of nine times in that shootout. He also went the same way eight of nine times in the shootout. He went... So strategy. Uh, it is. He went to his right for the first one, to his left for the second one, and from that moment on, he went to his right every single Time. He does time get a hand to one of them. That, that seems to be similar to the Patreon quiz last week where I just kept expecting Joe to have a made-up player and he kept not having a made-up player uh, or, or vice versa. That seemed to be the case here. <laughs> he just kept thinking, like, eventually they'll go to this direction, and they did not. Uh, so credit to DR Congo for, I think identifying that that's what was happening. And they really do, after uh, the miss, which is a bad miss, it goes well wide, they seem to start just sort of in-stepping it in uh, and, and, and waiting for him to move and then passing it into the goal. It was not the best goalkeeping performance for either uh, because, as you said, Ryan, it is uh, a miss off the post or off the bar that does make the difference. But still, credit to DR Congo for, for taking their penalties, taking them well, and getting through. Indeed, and uh, Mo Salah obviously will not be travelling back to Africa for AFCON, uh, given that Egypt are now uh, exited from the tournament. Uh, quick look at the Asia Cup, which began its round of 16 on Sunday. Australia with a pretty comprehensive win over Indonesia, a 4-0 win there, putting the Aussies in the quarterfinals. And Graham, we had uh, the UAE uh, ducking out at the exp- uh, via Tajikistan, who had a 5-3 yeah. win on penalties. Yeah, Tajikistan are on an incredible run at the Asian Cup. They've probably been the best story at that tournament so far. This is their first ever Asian Cup. They never qualified before now. But now they're in the quarterfinals after, as you say, Ryan, that penalty shootout went over the UAE, who are 42 places above them in the FIFA rankings. And the, and the celebrations when the winning penalty went in were incredible. They have, um, I believe, uh, Jordan in the next round of this competition, which seems like that was a banger of a match just before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Jordan scored three stoppage time goals to win 3-2. 3-2. They were, uh, well, they must have been 2-1 down. Um, or sorry, there's a red card that's in stoppage time. So they scored two stoppage time goals to win 3-2. They were 2-1 down. And they scored stoppage in so. stoppage time of the first half. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, so we'll have to cover that match at, at some point. But yeah, Tajikistan have been the best storyline out of uh, the Asian Cup so far. Indeed. Good stuff. All right, I think we have the weekend thoroughly reviewed. Listener, thank you for joining us on this one. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for your coverage of all kinds. Thank you, my friend, and thank you for your steadfast dedication to Maidstone United. Uh, always Medway Towns in Kent, Taylor. They are close to my heart. Graham Rutherford, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, pleasure as always. Jeff signing off. <laughs> See you, Jeff. Thank you very much, listener, once again for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.